today's reading is from John, chapter 1, verses 35 to 51. And you'll find that on page 1064 in the Church Bible. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning round, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, when translated, is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree, before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Well, let's just uh, bow our heads and we'll pray together. Father, we thank you so much that we can gather here together as your people and thank you that you've given us the sacrament to strengthen us and to encourage us and you've also given us your word and your Holy Spirit to guide us and to teach us and we pray now that as we look at your word together you'll come and speak to us Lord and challenge us, teach us, encourage us and strengthen us we pray in Jesus name, Amen. Now, can I just first of all say a big thank you to Guy. Guy is actually my son-in-law, so it's a great privilege to be here uh, with, leading the service with Guy. Thank you very much, Guy, for trusting your father-in-law <laughs> to come and speak. Apparently, you had another Simpson here a few weeks ago. Is that right? You had a Tom Simpson, then you had a Lucy Simpson. So I think I'm the last in the line of the Simpsons. I don't think there are any more coming, are there? <laughs> Anyway, if you've got your Bible, would you like to turn in it to uh, page 1,000... I'd love you all to follow this, page 1,064. And we're going to look at this 
beautiful story that John tells us about uh, Andrew, and, uh, and then you'll see where we're going in it <clears throat> in a bit. Now, uh, first of all, I just want to say we used to live in York. We've lived in York for a long time. I work for the Archbishop of York as an evangelist, so we do lots of missions around the north of England. But I've, we've, we're currently living in a place called Chipping Norton. Has anybody heard of Chipping? Oh, have you been to Chipping Norton? Well, we don't live actually, we live just outside. But um, I do occasionally bump into David Cameron in the local Sainsbury's. Well, twice I've done that. And uh, my wife said, you are not to talk to him, Roger. Uh, anyway, um, I heard this great story uh, about a little boy who was desperate for a hundred pounds. So he prayed uh, for a whole week uh, that God would give him a hundred pounds and absolutely nothing happened. So he decided in the end to write a letter to God and he addressed the letter to God UK Limited. And uh, the P, the post office weren't quite sure what to do. So they directed the letter to 10 Downing Street. Anyway, the, uh, Prime Minister was very uh, sort of amused by this little boy's request for a hundred pounds. So he decided, he said to his uh, private secretary, please will you send the boy a five pound note. So the uh, five pound note was sent to the little boy and the boy was absolutely thrilled to get the five pound note. So he decided to write to God. So he wrote to God and he said, dear God, Thank you very much indeed for the five pounds, but I noticed for some strange reason that uh, the, the post office redirected it through Downing Street. And as usual, they took most of it. <laughs> now, I hope that's not all you remember of the talk <laughs> this, this morning. Now, we're going to look at this subject, Come and See. And... Uh, a few years ago, about, I think two or three years ago, they did some research, and this, really, this is really important. Uh, the Barna Group conducted some research, and they interviewed 3,000 non-Christians. And there were some very interesting results that came back. Now, the good news that came back from, from what they, the, these people they, they um, interviewed was that 67% of the non-Christians who were surveyed know a Christian, and this was what I thought was great, and they like them. That's really good, isn't it? They like them. And the other um, thing that I found very interesting was that 43% of English adults believe in Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And the, and, the, and the one that really caught my eye was this, that one in five non-Christians is open to an encounter or an experience of Jesus Christ. Now that means, if, these, if this research is accurate, that one in five of the people that you know who aren't Christians yet are open to an encounter or an experience of Jesus Christ. Now, don't you find that really encouraging? That's re that really encourages me. That's a lot of people in this country. But the bad news, I'm only going to give you two of the bits of bad news. One was that 40% of the population were not convinced that Jesus Christ is a real person. 
and I'm sure we know people like that. I certainly do. And 59% of non-Christians who were surveyed did not want to know any more about Jesus Christ. So they were settled, if you like, in their convictions. Now let's have a look at this uh, story of how Jesus calls the first disciples. So, um, and I'm just going to read the, the, the opening verses. So the next day, John was there. That's John the Baptist with two of his disciples. Now we're not told who these two Well, we're told one of them was Andrew. The probability is that the other disciple was John, the writer of the gospel. Most of the commentaries believe that it was John. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. Now, the interesting thing is that in the original, the word where where Jesus, uh, when they asked Jesus, where are you staying? The word in the original is the same word that Jesus uses in John chapter 15. Do you remember in John 15 where he says, we need to remain in him, we need to stay with him, in him, and he needs to stay or remain in us. And if we remain in Christ and Christ remains in us, uh, we will bear much fruit. Now, one friend of mine put it like this, He's because... Uh, he was trying to illustrate this, and I was speaking at a little communion. In the country, we have eight people at our communion services at eight o'clock. So I thought, how could I get this across? And it was like this. He said, if you write your name on a piece of paper, and you put the piece of paper in the Bible, and the Bible represents Christ, you, when you come to Christ, you are in Christ. You're in him, and he is in you, which means where he goes, you go. And where you go, he goes. And Jesus says, that's how we start the Christian life. We have to get into Christ, and Christ has to come into us by his Holy Spirit. And then we begin a relationship which is ultimately completely transforming. It transforms the whole of our life. Now, the interesting thing is, um, they go and they stay with Jesus. It's about the four, the four o'clock in the afternoon, and the implication is they stay the night. And then I want you to notice what happens. Andrew, verse 40, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus And the first thing that Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah. That is the Christ. And then this wonderful little phrase, and he brought him to Jesus. So if we could go on to the next slide. I find this really interesting. The the first thing that Andrew does once he discovers Christ as the Messiah is he goes and finds his brother, 
Simon Peter, and he brings Simon Peter to Jesus Christ. Now, there are three... Men, Andrew's actually not mentioned a lot in, in, the, in the Gospels. You, you don't read a lot about him. But the three references I found to him in John's Gospel, in each case, he is bringing someone to Jesus Christ. I find that really interesting. So here, we're told he brings Simon Peter, his brother, to Jesus. Then if you, you don't need to look it up, but in John chapter 6... In the feeding of the 5,000. Do you remember they've got no food? Who is it that brings the boy with the loaves and the fishes to Jesus? It's actually Andrew. So it's Andrew who brings, and then Jesus feeds the multitude with the boy's lunch. So he's mentioned again in John 6, and then he's mentioned again in John chapter 12, where we're told that some Greeks were in Jerusalem and they were looking for Jesus. They were trying to find Jesus. And who is it that introduces them to Jesus? It's actually Andrew again with Philip. Now that's really interesting, isn't it? So on three separate occasions, we find Andrew bringing friends, contacts, people to Jesus Christ. And here we're told he brings Simon Peter, who became one of the greatest influences for Jesus Christ in the early church. And he's called the rock. Jesus calls him the rock, Cephas. Now, we can't all be Simon Peters. Very few of us will actually be great evangelists. I used to dream that I would one day be a great evangelist because I, I absolutely loved Billy Graham. Do you love Billy Graham? I love Billy Graham. And I worked with Billy Graham a bit in Cambridge at the university and, and in London. And um, I used to have these dreams that one day I would be like Billy Graham and I would preach to crowded, you know, football stadiums. And I became an Anglican vicar instead. <laughs> um, but... Most of us will not be Simon Peters. There may be some here who will go on and become Simon Peters, but we can all be Andrews. All of us can be Andrews, even if we're not called to great public ministries like Simon Peter was. If you go on to the next slide, William Temple, Archbishop William Temple, he wrote a a brilliant commentary on John's Gospel And he wrote it apparently on his knees. And he wrote in the margin of his commentary on this verse, he said, it's the greatest service that one man can rend to another. Now, in the Alpha course, uh, Nikki Nikki Gumbel tells this great story about a chap in 1934 who was called Albert McMakin. And he was a 24-year-old farmer And he became a Christian. He became a Christian at a mission uh, led by a man called, uh, I think his second name was Ham. And he had a a big tent. And um, Albert McMakin, who was so enthusiastic about Jesus, he kept taking people to the meetings to hear this evangelist. And there was one person he particularly wanted to get. He was a tall, good-looking farmer's son, 
He really wanted to get him to the meetings, but apparently this young man was so busy falling in and out of love with all the local uh, ladies that he, done, he, he wasn't at all interested in Christianity. So eventually, Albert McMakin had this plan. He thought, if I ask this tall, young, handsome man to drive the truck, maybe we'll get him. So he invited him to drive the and he drove the truck, which carried the people to the meeting, and then apparently he'd stand at the back of the meeting, this chap, absolutely spellbound, but not doing anything. And then on the final night, he went forward and gave his life to Jesus Christ. And since then, that young truck driver has spoken to millions and millions of people about Jesus Christ. And he went on to become the spiritual advisor to nine U.S. presidents. Now, none of us have heard of Albert McMakin, but we've all heard of Billy Graham. So it was Albert McMakin who actually made the connection for Billy to come to Christ. So we can all do this. We can all bring our friends to a place where they can hear about Jesus. Now, the other thing, and I just want to say one other thing, is if we go on to the next slide, uh, is Philip. Uh, actually, sorry, move on from that one. Uh, and if you just quickly look at the text, um, because the next day, we're told, verse 43, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the, the town of Bethsaida. Bethsaida. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Chipping Norton? Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. So it's lovely, isn't it? Andrew finds the Lord. Actually, it was the Lord looking. He was looking for, for them. So it was the Lord all the time bringing them. Andrew, And then as Andrew finds the Lord, he goes and gets his brother, Simon Peter. And then Philip, once he's found the Lord, what does he do? He goes and gets Nathaniel. And I, I, I want to suggest that we can all say, come and see to our friends and our family and our work colleagues. You know, I am so, I, I don't come from a Christian family. My father was a, a pilot, an airline pilot, a test pilot before that. I'm not saying that all test pilots and airline are not Christians, but my dad definitely wasn't. And I'm so grateful to the person who brought me to, to a meeting, uh, actually it was to a camp initially, where I found out, if, he, if I hadn't have been invited, what would have happened to me? So I'm so grateful to that person. And God doesn't actually need any of us. He will do what he's going to do because he's sovereign, but he chooses to use us, people like you and me, in his work of bringing people to Jesus Christ. Now, as I finish, just uh, how do we bring people to Jesus? And uh, These are just hints. First of all, who do we know? Always start with the people that you know. Encourage those that you know. You can write their names down on a piece of paper. You'll be amazed how many people you know. Family, friends, neighbors, 
people in the shop that you go to, the postman. Write their names down and pray for them regularly. Pray for them by name. Uh, My wife and I do that. We're in a little village now and we're praying for lots of people in the village as we get to know them. And then look for what I call people of peace. And a person of peace, I've discovered, is someone who likes me and who I like. Now, that will be very different, actually, from the people you... I used to think everybody liked me, but I've discovered they don't. But I discovered, I've discovered that I am really good with... I've discovered, actually, I'm really good with multi-millionaires. It's a strange thing. I've just discovered I have a gift with some of these guys to help them come to Jesus Christ. I don't know where that comes from. So who do we know? Look for people of peace. Be ready to invite them. Is there someone we could invite to something? Then be prepared for surprises. It's what I call the duvet principle. You know when you sit on a duvet and a bit pops up the other... So we would pray for Bill and then Tom would get converted. Have you, have you noticed that? Come back. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, so be prepared for surprises and don't be put off by rejection. Now, I think Guy's going to ask me one question. Um, have I overshot? No, 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 it's fine. Can I ask you a couple of questions? Yes, you can. Uh, the first, can you come back this evening, as, as Sean was asking you? I am, I'm coming back. <laughs> um, and can we get some questions from the floor this evening as yeah. well? I'll ask you some questions now, yeah. but maybe one or two from the floor. Um, Roger, there's a chap just down the road from you who I invited last year to a carol service, and his words were something like, uh, I don't want to be asked to this again. Um, please don't do it. I'm not up for it. I don't want to go to church. What would you do about that sort of rejection? Uh, I just take that on the chin and say, because there's a question of timing. Uh, We cannot get anyone to a meeting. You can't get any, only God, only God can bring anyone. Uh, We've got a carol service coming, haven't we? We've got a few. Could could I just say something about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, here's a great line to invite your people. I developed this when I was in in York. Say to your friends, well, you can call Guy the vicar. He's like you're the curate vicar. The the vicar has asked us all to invite somebody to be our guest. Will you be my guest? Now, if you're the clergyman guy, what you say is, because you say to your neighbours, Uh, I've told everybody in the congregation that they've got to invite somebody as their guest. Will you be my guest? Do you see? That's a great line. Have you heard that? I've asked you all to invite (laughs) one person to one of the carol services. Um, How about this one, Roger? How about if I invite someone, maybe someone from across the road, they said that they would come, and then they just didn't rock up. What do I do about that? Okay, so this often happens. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. If I find, it might just be that I'm not very good at this, I normally, if I want to get one person, I have to invite five. You might be much better than me. Some of you probably just invite one and you'll get one. I find often if I just invite one, they drop out or they don't. So be prepared for that. And uh, yes. That's really helpful. Okay, now how about this one? I've invited them and they've actually come and they're here at a carols by candlelight uh, and it's fantastic, and they sit through it, and, and they're warm and fuzzy, and they enjoy it. 
but what do I do now? What do you do now? Well, you, if you're with, try and sit with them. I think that's really important. And then you can say after, I don't know who's doing it, but normally I would say, if you want to know more, I've got a little book, I have a little booklet which I give them. You could always say to your friend, would you like to go and get a booklet? Or here's another one. What did you think of what the person said? Ask them. And then it opens, it opens the conversation. I think we've had can, enough. Can I ask you just one more? Yeah. One more. It's great having you here. Um, one more. So maybe I've got someone across the road who I don't think would be open to, to an invitation this year, but how can I encourage a relationship with them which potentially could open up an opportunity for next year? Okay. So generally speaking, my experience is you, uh, publicity doesn't get people to things. It's people who bring people And if they say no to you this year, work at your relationship to show them Jesus by the way you live. Love them, really love them. And then you might find the following year they'll come.